Is the new golden age of TV over? And who to blame for internet bile? Advertisers, that's who, of course. This is episode 26 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I am Mark Ramsey. And I'm Tom Asaka. Tom, is the new golden age of TV over already? Came quick, didn't it? <laughs> it came and went quick. Uh, the article is from The Atlantic. It's called, Have We Reached Peak TV? This springs from a presentation that uh, John Landgraf did at the Television Critics Association press tour recently. Landgraf is the president of FX Networks. And uh, he had some really uh, pithy and influential quotes that caused a tremor in the room and in the television industry. Here's, among other things, what he said. My sense is that 2015 or 2016 will represent peak TV <laughs> in America. <laughs> expression. <laughs> peak TV. And that we'll begin to see a decline coming the year after that and beyond. This year saw more than 370 scripted... Uh, 370 scripted series on television, he said, including on streaming services. Um, there will be, um, by the end of this year, this past year was 370, by the end of this year, there will be 400. To give you a point of reference, Tom, there were 211 scripted shows in 2009, 400 this year. Oh. That is an amazing increase. What, what do you think about that? It, that's, it's, it's, it's a big jump. I mean, I, I, like you, I laughed when I, when I heard the, with the metaphor <laughs> peak TV because it reminded me of peak oil. Of course. Right? Which, by the way, still hasn't happened. I think the original <laughs> prediction was that U.S. peak oil would happen in, I think it was the late 60s or early 70s. Oh, really? I first heard it when I was in college, yeah. and then at least it was after then. Well, so. there were lines at the pumps after that, right? There I were mean, lines. But that's what's right. happened? What's happened since the 60s and 70s, the lines at the pump? New sources were discovered, new right. production techniques. Now, I was reading that we import only 27% of our oil from foreign sources, and it's the lowest share since 1985. I think the same thing will happen to TV shows. New sources of creativity, new sources of production, and we already have a lot of new sources of distribution, right? Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. Absolutely. I mean, I think you can tell from his perspective that it's strictly the perspective of someone in the business of producing expensive television. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it's not so much peak TV as peak expensive TV. That's really the issue. Pricey television is going to be harder to produce because obviously audiences are going to thin out. They're going to be spread across multiple touch points. And, um, you know, the, the traditional, as we've talked about in, in weeks past, the traditional uh, ratings uh, sustenance for these cable channels is going to begin to decline. In fact, he says the glut of shows has created a huge challenge in finding compelling original stories and the level of talent needed to sustain, to sustain those stories. Um, it has also had an enormous impact on everyone's ability to cut through the clutter and create real buzz. In other words, making hits is hard. Making hits that are expensive is really hard and you need a lot of eyeballs in order to make it work and that's going to be increasingly difficult. So it's not the end of peak TV, it's the end of peak expensive TV. Yeah, listen, the idea that there's a, a limit to the supply side, right? The skilled people, the budgets, things like studio space, that's ridiculous. So mm -hmm. This is supply and demand. If you're given a strong demand and the financial model to sustain it, supply emerges because... 
of all the new people that will enter the market, right? I mean, the art will be elevated. And, and I think you were right on when you said, listen, he's deep in this. So he sees yeah. the, the expensive infrastructure and you know, the, the costs associated. That's like, that's like, um, like the broadband people or the, or the uh, high-speed internet people saying, look, you, know, you can't enter this market. The, the cost to enter this market is, is huge. But then you have Google floating balloons over some town trying to give them all high-speed internet access with balloons. So it's right. going to be innovation. And because the article said television is whatever consumers will watch, Yes. I thought that was interesting. Yes, that came from one of the writers for uh, The Atlantic, which I completely agree with, by the way. Right, which means what? It means success is going to be about deep insights, innovation, creativity. That's the source of competitive advantage in any free marketplace, and this one's no different. That's right. Landgraf is arguing basically that all the rich talent to create the expensive shows, that there's a scarcity of that and that it's not supportable past a certain point. And I think, again, to your point, he's wrong because where does that leave Michelle Fan and YouTube stars with, with millions of hits based on a webcam basically propped up in a bedroom? Um, why, how does that explain how NBC Universal just today uh, announced an investment of $200 million in BuzzFeed? I mean, that's an investment in the future of the medium called television and in a redefinition of television as something other than just premium scripted shows uh, showcased for maximum audience appeal on traditional distribution channels, right? Yeah, but listen, stay with the traditional. I mean, Netflix, I read, has a roster of 36 original series in production. Mm -hmm. That's more than HBO. So listen, the problem, I think the problem in the future is, is, is not what he's saying. The problem is going to be findability. This is the classic branding question of our times. Mm -hmm. Will people seek out and choose particular brands, be they products, TV shows, songs, because they've come to believe in the value of that brand, whether it's a manufacturer, a network, even a station, or... Will we discover and choose brands based on recommendations from other people, mm -hmm. from algorithms, from people like Amazon and Netflix and Pandora? I, I think that's the bigger issue here. I think there's going to be a lot of great shows. How are we going to find these things? How are we going to find these things? And what do we mean by brand? Because if you talk to Landgraf, he'll tell you, listen to this quote, as technology evolves and people consume television through different modes of delivery than channels, brands will become increasingly important as mediating filters for the overwhelmed viewing public. When he's talking about brands, he means networks. Yeah, he doesn't mean shows. You're talking about shows, right? No, no. I, I'm saying, will we will we use a network as a signal for for quality brand in our mind, a TV brand like an HBO, or 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 are we going to just go with recommendations? From, from what Netflix throws up on the screen. It says, you might like this, you like that, you might I, like this. I'm, I think it's even more confusing than that because, for example, uh, he's head of FX. You tell me, what is an FX show? I, I don't know. That's, that's my <laughs> point. It, it, listen, throw into the, into the mix. If this glut of choice that has hit things like news, books, magazines, music, does hit television, who, mm -hmm. are we going to need a mediator? Be beyond the algorithm. Are we now going to need a person on top of the algorithm 
to, to, to try to guide us? Is, is there going to be that much stuff? This is a classic business model conundrum. How do we get attention? Mm-hmm. How do we build an audience and a loyal following? How do we monetize? Do we do this direct to consumer? Do we do it through distribution? Is it a combination? Every brand that I work with is, is facing the similar challenges in whatever products and services they're selling. You're certainly right about findability, and I'm glad you mentioned monetization because, you know, clearly that's the piece left out of his puzzle. All of this assumes that this, uh, uh, that th- this monetization, the business model, is unchanged from what was historical, right? Whereas look at Netflix. That's purely a subscription business right. model. Look at Amazon. Amazon is essentially using uh, its television, uh, its, its new uh, video shows, whatever they're called, television shows, as uh, reasons for people to find increasing value out of Prime, right? (laughs) Exactly. And so uh, technically, all these TV shows on Amazon are designed to increase the odds that you will help Amazon make money by selling books, right? Every time you buy a book, an angel gets its wings at Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Or, or, Or a TV show gets funded. And a TV show gets funded, so it's about the the business model, absolutely. One other point made in this article, which I thought was worthwhile, was uh, one of the writers said, if I were Landgraf, I wouldn't be concerned about the glut of original programming debuting each season as much as the glut of outstanding vintage television that's now so readily available. There are 76 episodes of Friday Night Lights I've never seen and 63 of Six Feet Under. Every time someone discovers a new old favorite on Netflix, that's 50 or so hours they'll spend not watching network TV. How true is that? That is true, absolutely. You are listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asacker and Mark Ramsey. Tom, topic two, who's to blame for internet bio? Why advertisers, of course. Aren't they to blame for everything? Of course. (laughs) There was a, a an extensive, I don't know, like a meta article in the Hollywood Reporter that you uh, tipped me on um, called The Gossip Revolution. And the subtitle of it was, as page six goes, so goes the nation. Gossip, the once small Hollywood sideshow, now has major news status and defines the fate and fortunes of major public <laughs> figures. Fate and fortune. I love this. It was like, you know, we hate to write about this, but we're going to write about this. And by writing about this, we dive deeper into this. Yeah, let's, let's so use we, hyperbole to rail, rail against gossip. Rail against hyperbole. <laughs> and that's so much what this is. One of the articles, in fact, was titled Former Gawker Editor on the Cause of Internet Bile, It's Ad Dollars. I love this. He said the internet is swirling. Uh, the internet is a swirling death trap of dubious gossip, outraged tweet-to-tweet combat, and a million identical pieces of overprocessed, hormone-injected news content, quote-unquote, written for fourth graders. There's a reason for that. It's called money. <laughs> it's called money, Tom, or is it? Well, like, there's a reason for everything, and it's called money. <laughs> right? <laughs> so true. And in, in the way to get it? increasingly today is to create a brand a media brand is a celebrity brand it's fueled yes. by sound bites and spectacle and controversy and, and all that i mean we should start dumbing our thing down for fourth graders <laughs> i've been doing that i just haven't told oh, i knew it those titles are a giveaway <laughs> hey here's something for you so i look up the word gossip right because i said what is yeah. gossip that's a strange word so it's from the old <laughs> english god sib like sibling god uh-huh relative, godparent. And it was extended, <laughs> seriously, it was extended in Middle English to mean a familiar acquaintance or a neighbor or a friend. And then later it came to mean engaging in <laughs> idle talk 
especially about the affairs of others. And, and now it means reporting on whatever happens weekly to the Kardashians. You have just achieved the impossible. You have made gossip boring. <laughs> oh, shoot. No fourth grader wants to listen to that. I knew it. There you go. Well, you know, here's the thing that occurred to me as I was as I was reading this and thinking about this and this this writer who had had been with uh, uh, um, what was it that he was with? Um, uh, yeah, you know, he was with one of the major Gawker. Gawker he was with Gawker, yeah. and he's complaining about this. And it, it, you can you can kind of feel the self loathing between every line of this. And what's fundamentally at the root of this is that these. Yeah, entertainment uh, destinations that you spoke about are all built on the same premise, um, indifferent to the fact that any number of them can be built on the identical premise by any number of people at any time with the exact same aspiration, right? It's as if you want to, it's as if you get together a group of people and say, hey, kids, let's put on a show. We're going to operate like a TV or cable channel, but with an infinite supply of alternatives. And an infinite supply of advertising avails and a finite supply of eyes and ears. Other than that, it's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the key word you use was show. I think people have to understand if they're looking at a screen, they're watching a show. Yes. You know, and, and that, that's what's going on. You want some more? You want me to bore you some more about gossip? I want to hear oh, it. Oh, yeah, this is, really, this is really boring. It turns out that the reason that we love gossip is because it's a valuable source of information. I was reading a study out of the Netherlands that was titled, Tell Me the Gossip. And they made the case that people don't really care about the subject of the gossip. What they care about is what that information means to them. They use it, the information Mm -hmm. about others to kind of protect themselves and figure out how to make their way through life. And I was thinking Mm -hmm. about it, right? So we crave gossip because we're on the lookout for what's useful, especially in our mm-hmm. social lives. If we see Hillary in all kinds of trouble over her emails and Anthony Weiner's privates exposed in the news, we decide that we're going to download and use Snapchat. If we hear that Hulk Hogan goes down hard due to a racial slant and that Ariana Grande suffers a severe backlash from licking donuts and saying, you know, I hate America, we think twice before we lick random pastries at shops. <laughs> So that's what this is all about. That's why we're watching all this stuff and reading it. We want to that learn. That is fascinating. We want to learn how to behave by people who misbehave. That's it. It's, it's so funny to see this publication kind of <laughs> fall into its own trap by being exactly what it derides. One, uh, Michael Wolf wrote a piece in here where he essentially takes on one um, pop cultural gossip figure after another, from Trump to Hillary to Sumner to Bill Cosby <laughs> and so on. And each one, you know, it's, I read through this and I thought, I can't even read this. It's an excuse to look at the caricature and read a few insulting comments, which means this is exactly what he's complaining about. This article is what he's complaining about. I know, it's funny, isn't it? And, you know, it's, it, it strikes me, you can, if you watch the news shows in the morning and hear the reporters kind of crinkle their lip at the thought that they need to discuss Donald Trump in a serious fashion as a political story, despite the fact that he's the, you know, the top polling candidate in the Republican race right now, which would seem to me to be justification enough to shut the heck up and do your job. Uh, Nevertheless, you've got publications like Huffington Post, which continues 
to have Trump off the news page and on the entertainment page, which I find to be such a puzzling distinction for a publication like HuffPo, <laughs> whose front page is literally a crazy quilt of news and entertainment. To make that weird, almost arbitrary distinction is so puzzling to me. Not to me. <laughs> it's about the money. <laughs> it's all about, it all goes back to the money. Yes, it does. All right, it's time for Rants and Raves, Tom. You have a good one today? Not really, but in, in keeping with <laughs> with the subject. <laughs> Thanks for the tease. Excellent tease, Tom. But with the, in keeping with, this, with the subject we're on here, blather and all that. Um, this is a rave. I'm going to rave again. This is two weeks in a row for... Orlando, Florida news anchor John Brown. I don't know if you read about him, but he re- I don't think so. He recently walked off the set of Good Day Orlando when faced with reporting that Kylie Jenner, the youngest daughter of Caitlyn, formerly Bruce Jenner, has a new rabbit named Bruce. <laughs> he walked off. He walked off the set. He took off his, you know, he said, I've had enough Kardashians. I can't take any more Kardashian stories on this show. We're talking about the family every freaking day on this show. Nobody cares about this family anymore. I've had enough. So I'm, I'm hearing this, and it wasn't quite as powerful, but the scene in the movie network came to mind, yeah. right? The soaking wet, <laughs> sure. raincoat-clad TV anchor Howard Beale on the edge of a nervous breakdown, standing up on set, telling all of his viewers to go to their window, open it up, stick their head out, and yell, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So I, I'm still giving John Brown a, a rave for that. <laughs> That's awesome. And don't you think he must find it just oddly ironic that his primary claim to fame, once again, is about the very topic that frustrated him to walk <laughs> off the set? So the Kardashians have made him famous. It's, it's irony, man. I, it's, just, it's just so meta. It's unbelievable. It okay. I've got, as usual, a rant and a rave. Somehow I, I keep coming up with one of each, and we'll see how I do this time. <laughs> so I want to start with the rant. Um, this is from Adweek. And the title of the piece is Periscope. We know that's the live streaming app, right? Periscope now has 10 million users who watch 21 million minutes a day. Live streaming got your attention yet? And I thought, what kind of junk data is this? You know how so many folks, especially in the digital landscape, like to pimp their downloads. They pimp these junk numbers that are just big for the sake of being big with no meaning or value or utility or indication of engagement or ongoing return usage or whatever. It's just junk numbers. So here's the quote. <laughs> the Twitter-owned company noted the progress in a blog post along with this humdinger of a data. You listen to the tone, right? Humdinger of a data point. Approximately 40 years worth of live streaming footage is being watched every day on Periscope. That equates to 21 million minutes every 24 hours. So I thought, okay, I, okay, I'll, <laughs> I'll raise your junk data. Okay. So I thought, what, let's focus on how many TV hours are watched. How many Americans watch television per day? Let's see, there are 300 million Americans. They watch an average of five hours of television per day. It turns out, Tom, that's 1.5 billion hours of TV per day or 171,000 years of TV per day. <laughs> so you can take your 40 years worth of TV, and I'll <laughs> raise you 171,000 years worth of TV. Now, 
How, has that got your attention yet? How's that for a humdinger of a data point? Oh, you analytics guys. Junk data. I hate these junk crap statistics. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> so that's my rant. Here's the rave. Um, Star Wars themed lands coming to Disney uh, parks. I heard about I that. I just think this is so cool. First of all, let's go back in time a few years. In 2012, the Disney Corporation, founded by Walt Disney, uh, bought for $4 billion dollars Lucasfilm and all the rights to the Star Wars universe, right? Mm. Even at the time, even in 2012, the value of the Star Wars franchise and all its bits and pieces was rumored to be somewhere in excess of $30 billion. That was 2012. Gee. Well, fast forward. That's when there were, I think, what, six episodes, uh, six chapters in the Star Wars franchise? Mm -hmm. Now, uh, episode seven comes out this Christmas. Episode eight is on the drawing boards. They just announced the director for episode nine, Tom, which comes out in 2019. Wow. Meanwhile, there's a spinoff movie, which means an all-new Star Wars franchise called Star Wars Rogue One. New characters, new mythology. And at the same time, of course, at D23 Expo, uh, Disney chairman Robert Iger announced the creation of two Star Wars-themed lands. The 14-acre parks will feature humanoids, aliens, and droids. He called it the company's largest single-themed land expansion ever. So what they bought for $4 billion in 2012 is worth countless billions of dollars today and into the future. This is the gift that keeps on giving. And it's an illustration of the power of a franchise to create brand extensions when that franchise is so inherently compelling and powerful. I just thought that what a great story because it really illustrates that when you have a brand that's really got some juice, take it for all it's worth. Absolutely. Yeah, that was great. All right. Uh, that's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. No, I really mean it. Please rate the show. <laughs> it helps other folks discover us. You can also catch us at SoundCloud, Podcast One, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Net News Check. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, let us know. Tweet us. You can read the show notes and share the show at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the fantabulous, one-of-a-kind producer of Media Unplugged, Mr. Jeff Schmidt. Exciting audio from media. You can find him at jeff schmidt Com. For Tom Asecker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thank you so much for listening.